Uh, good morning. It's a privilege to be back here in Midland Park, and Rachel and I are very grateful for the warm welcome that we have been given. We appreciate it, and we look to the Lord for help as we have fellowship together around the good Word of God. I want to read with you, please, this morning in the first mission, uh, ministry session of the conference, I want to read with you in the book of Daniel in chapter 9. book of Daniel and chapter 9. Verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God, and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces as at this day. To the men of Judah, and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and unto all Israel, that are near and that are far off, through all the countries whither thou hast driven them because of their trespass that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face. To our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgivenesses, though we have rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws which he hath set before us by his servants the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law even by departing that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us. And the oath that is written in the law of Moses the servant of God because we have sinned against him And he hath confirmed his words, which he spake against us and against our judges that judged us, by bringing upon us a great evil. For under the whole heaven hath not been done, as hath been done upon Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil is come upon us. 
Yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth? Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth, for we obeyed not his voice. And now, O Lord our God, that hast brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and hast gotten thee renown as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city Jerusalem, thy holy mountain. Because for our sins, and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Now, therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications, and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate, for the Lord's sake. O my God, Incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake. O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. And we trust God will graciously bless to us the reading of his word. Possibly, as I announced the reading this morning, a few of you sharpened your pencils and got out your notepads and thought, well, Daniel 9, the 70 weeks. And very often, where there is a passage that has, if you like, a famous section in it, we tend sometimes to neglect the rest of that particular chapter. Yes, this was a remarkable, pivotal time in the experience of God's people. And yes, a tremendous revelation of truth was going to be given to Daniel. But there were prerequisites. There were things that had to happen beforehand. And in these lovely verses we have read, we have read of the occasion and the content of the prayer of a great man of God. He had been taken as a young man down into Babylon when the southern kingdom of Judah had eventually, because of their refusal to obey the word of God, been brought into subjugation to the great Babylonian empire. You know from reading the book how as a young man taken down into Babylon they try to change his appetite and his attire and his name and his ways and all that great practical ministry that there is at the beginning of the book. Then those dreams that were interpreted and and those great macro pictures of the movements of empires and, and how things were going to be moved by the hand of a great sovereign God. But now as we read here in Daniel chapter 9, this dear man is close on 90 years of age. 
Jerusalem for him would have been a very distant memory. And he's reading. And he's reading the uh, writings of the ministry of one of his brethren, Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah was a prophet whose prophecy, whose ministry really, began before the Babylonian exile and continued right through it. At the same time, Ezekiel was prophesying as well. And now Daniel is sitting, and it's very interesting to see that that there were certain things that God revealed to him by vision and by revelation and by dream, but then there were other things that were revealed to him by reading. So, you know, there's a great lesson here for us. Because here is a man, and the chapter begins with him reading. He's reading what we know today as Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 1 to 12 particularly. And as he's reading this, it suddenly comes to his attention. What a thrill it must have been in his reading. That this captivity of the people of God in Babylon, why? It's all going to come to an end in about two years' time. He reads how that Jeremiah has been shown by God that this captivity is going to be only 70 years long. And so, a tremendous thrill in his study that morning, it hits him. That this time of, of, of weeping and of mourning, how could they sing the songs of Zion in a strange land? The time of captivity is about to come to an end. You know, I'm quite sure of this, that, I mean, it wouldn't happen, couldn't happen, but, but let's just say, that, that I had read such a thing myself in the Word of God. And you know, sometimes you do read things that just leap out of the page and hit you. And uh, those things are very, very precious to you. I remember as a young man, I don't even remember the passage now, to be honest, but, but I remember as a young man just getting a glimpse of, of something. It was like a, like a nugget in the dirt, you know, and I was just... There's something there, and I studied, and I read, and I studied, and I read, and eventually I prized this nugget out of the Word of God. And, of course, I was the only person who had ever seen this and read this, uh, you know. And so this was very special, and uh, I knew that in a few days' time I was going to be visiting with my parents, and, uh, well, it was about time I was going to knock my dad's hat off. You know, I mean, he was the one who was always teaching me. So I just chose my moment, and and we discussed things, and, and then just at the right moment, I chucked this one in. Very nice, brother. He always called me brother when we spoke together on the scriptures. I liked that. That was nice. You know, I was his son, and there were things I did out of obedience because I was his son, but, but when he discussed the scriptures, I was his brother. That was nice. So he said, very nice, brother. That's good. And then he picked it up, and he ran with it, and, and he, he unfolded it all, and he showed me this, and, he, and you know, I was really, really cross. I was really annoyed about this. You know, how dare he have seen that as well? Well, imagine how Daniel felt with his tremendous love for God's people. He was one of the, one of the few left in Babylon who remembered Jerusalem. The vast majority of God's people in Babylon had never seen Jerusalem, and they'd never seen the temple. All they had to go on was what they had been told, but Daniel remembered it. He loved it. 
And he was jealous for God's honor. And now he reads this, and he gets this tremendous nugget out of the word of God. And if I had been Daniel, I would have just charged out and immediately told everybody, number one, how clever I was, and how great this was that I had read. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. This man immediately gave himself to prayer. And what a prayer it was. You younger believers, particularly, as you're starting to find your way around your Bible, a very simple thing to remember. Daniel 9, Ezra 9, Nehemiah 9. Three great prayers in the Old Testament Scriptures. In Nehemiah chapter 9, all the people are praying. Notice how it's linked with the Word of God. For a quarter of the day, they read in the Word of God. And for the next quarter of the day, they prayed. So the Word of God and prayer go together. They must go together. Now, prayer is not easy. In fact, speaking personally, it's the most difficult discipline I know. If there's any of you here got a recipe for making prayer easy, you let me know first. It's not, is it, brethren? So we love to get into the Word of God, at least I hope we do. We love to get into the Word of God, and we like to accumulate knowledge. We want to know about it. We want to build up a big picture of what the Word of God is about. But, you know, what that prayer in Nehemiah 9 is showing us is that for every hour that there was the reading of the Word of God, there was an equal amount of time spent in prayer. Now let's begin the conference with a, with a practical challenge. Young men, young sisters, do you pray over your Bible? In fact, let me be more brutal. Do you read your Bible? I mean, really read it. Daniel wasn't skimming things. He was seeking out the mind and the word of God. When he found it, prayed over it. Now, you see, we're very thankful that, that we're in days of, well, I guess my generation uh, kind of spans the, the transition from printed books to electronic media. And I use both, and I'm thankful for both. But listen, my brother, my sister, you'll never get rich ministry for God's people out of a computer. It's a tool. That's all it is. It's a help. We thank God for it. Cuts down a lot of time, maybe. But the danger is that with a few deft keystrokes, you can come up with a structural outline and you can come up with a little bunch of notes and, and all this kind of thing. But, you know, the first people to detect the difference between ministry that's come out of a computer and ministry that's come out of the sanctuary, the first people to detect that are the saints of God. They really are. So when you're reading, and you must, you really must, whatever your ministry for God is going to be, whether public or private, whether at home or abroad, whatever it's going to be, you will learn it from reading the Word of God. That's how God will speak to you. But when you read, you must pray. And the earlier in your Christian life you make that a discipline, the quicker you will develop and the quicker you will be of use to the people of God. That's... Nehemiah chapter 9. They all prayed together, and, and the weight was equal between reading and praying. 
In Ezra chapter 9, Ezra prayed, and in praying he brought in then others. Effectively, he was teaching them to pray. In Daniel chapter 9, the man's by himself. What a wonderful glimpse. We, we sometimes think that, don't we, when we read of the Lord praying in, in say, John chapter 17. We're very thankful to the Spirit of God for giving us that that glimpse of something very private, very secret. But we have it again here in Daniel 9. One man's dealings with God. And as he read, he prayed. We used to sing, I, I take it you sing out here as well, the same as we used to when we were kids. Daniel was a man of prayer. Daily he prayed three times. See, he was a man given to prayer. And, and, and now he's a very old man, but he's still praying over the Word of God. And one of the things he learns from Jeremiah is that, is that this time of captivity is going to come to an end. But because he prays over that, at the end of his prayer, he then gets that wonderful revelation, not of the fact of recovery, but the whole process of it. God's going to reveal to Daniel how the promised recovery of the nation is going to take place. And not just the recovery of a remnant from Babylonian captivity back to Jerusalem, but the ultimate and still future recovery of the whole nation. So this is a very pivotal, a very pivotal time. There's about two years to go to the end of the Babylonian captivity. God has been moving. More than a hundred years before, Isaiah prophesied and was used of God to, to name, specifically to name a ruler of an empire that still hadn't come into being, but that ruler would one day be the trigger for the beginning of recovery for the people of God. Wonderful, wasn't it? Not some hazy, vague, ambiguous kind of glow on the horizon. No. God says through Isaiah, there'll be a man called Cyrus. And the empire which Cyrus headed hadn't even come into being yet, but that was no problem to God. He is our God, you know, brethren. The God who moved empires. And the God who named the man who would give the proclamation that would see the start of recovery. He's our God. And later, you know, in this very book, Daniel would write, chapter 11, verse 28, he would say, specifically in reference to those we know as the Maccabees, those people who came in the intertestamental period. But the, he states a principle that the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Now, that's how we want to be, isn't it? I hope that's how we want to be. We want to be a people, we want to be individuals who are strong and who do exploits for God. But we have to know him. We have to know him. And so, as Daniel gleans from Jeremiah's writings, the fact that this captivity is only going to be 70 years long, and very quickly he does the sums in his head, and he realizes there's less than two years to go. But he's not so much overwhelmed by the fact, his prayer then shows that he's overwhelmed 
by the greatness of the God who just revealed that fact to him. Can you see how that this man, in reading the scriptures as he had them then, this man was not so much impressed by the fact, tremendous though it was, through the fact, praise and honor and glory was given to the God who revealed the fact to him. Now that's how we got to read our Bibles. That's why we need to pray over them. One of the reasons is, not only that God through the Spirit would reveal truth to us, but in revealing that truth that we might have a deeper knowledge of our God. Because it's the people who know their God that shall be strong and do exploits. So, so often we want to lurch into Daniel chapter 9 and we want to know all about Daniel's 70 weeks. Great stuff. Show how clever we are. Look what came before it. A man with deep exercise of heart, a man with deep exercise of soul, and as he read this tremendous fact, he bowed his head. He prayed. Think of a New Testament parallel. If we could have spoken to Paul, Paul, you're a chosen vessel. Paul, you're the man through whom truth relative to the body of Christ is going to be revealed. Only Paul speaks about the body of Christ. All that teaching comes through him. That There was a, a complete revelation of church truth that was going to come through that man. That was the unique stewardship that was given to him, the truth of the body made up of Jew and Gentile, saved by the grace of God on common ground. That was the stewardship that he speaks of in Ephesians chapter 3. And we might have said to him, as perhaps the Philippians could have said to him, Paul, are you not overwhelmed by the knowledge that God has given you? Paul says, I've still an ambition. What is it? That I might know him. That I might know him. My dear brother, my dear sister, especially the younger ones embarking on, on their Bible study, I hope now you're getting serious about divine things. I'm not trying to take anything of your youth and enthusiasm away from you and, and your college studies and all these important things. We know that, but, but you're of an age now where you, you really must be giving yourself seriously to the Word of God and to prayer. And make this your ambition before God, not only that you would get a better knowledge of the Word of God, but that through it you would know him. Comes shining through Daniel's prayer, you know. Daniel is, is overwhelmed at this manifestation of the character of his God. His prayer really is divided into two main, two main sections, quite clear. And the first of them is going to be to do with confession. That's going to go right down from where his prayer begins in verse number 4, and it's going to go right down to verse number 14. And then in verse number 15, he's going to make supplication. Confession and supplication. There is a moral order in that. In other words, before he brings his supplication to God, Daniel wants to clear the ground. 
He wants, he, he, he feels the need for confession not only on his own part. I prayed, he says in verse 4, unto the Lord my God and made my confession. He acknowledges before God, he lets the light of the sanctuary, as it were, shine into his soul. He's a man who, to use that expression the preachers love, likes to keep short accounts with God. And he knows the tendencies of the flesh. And so he makes his confession. He acknowledges before God his limitations and the things he said and done that were wrong. And when he had made his confession before God and made statements about the character of God, in verse 5 he says, we have sinned. We have sinned. And like many a great man before him and after him, Daniel associates himself, though he stands head and shoulders above the majority of the remnant down there in Babylon, he associates himself with the people. We have sinned. Pays to read your Bible carefully, because later he's going to include the northern kingdom of Israel, taken into Assyrian captivity some 200 years before. Those northern ten tribes, those tribes who rebelled after the reign of Solomon and who had a succession of wicked kings and never gave up their idols in spite of all the prophets that were sent to them and eventually they were taken into Assyrian captivity and just dissolved amongst the nations. And here's a man 200 years later and he's going to include them in his prayer. He speaks of his confession he speaks of we having sinned, but then later, as he brings all Israel into his prayer, he speaks about their sin. See, that's an intelligent prayer, isn't it? So here's a man who's a godly leader amongst the people of God, and he's overwhelmed now at the, at the forbearance and the mercy and the kindness of God who is going to restore a people from a condition in which they went because of their own disobedience and rebellion. And through it all, he's going to speak about the righteousness of God. This is a man justifying God. That is, a man who, conscious of the character of God and conscious of the gravity of the sins of his people, acknowledges that God is absolutely right in bringing upon them the troubles that they have. So Daniel is a man who understands that his God is a God of immense grace, but he is a God of government. I think we're forgetting that, brethren. I'm speaking generally. And we rejoice in the God of grace. But in that age, as well as in this church age, God is a God of government as well. And he stamps that at the beginning of each of these dispensations. It was grace that ultimately took the people into their inheritance across Jordan. But it was government that dealt with them severely when there was sin in the camp through Achan. It was grace undoubtedly that ushered in the church age and saw thousands saved in a day. 
but it was government that saw Ananias and Sapphira carried out feet first because they lied to the Spirit of God. You know, it's good to look at the God of Daniel and to see this great and terrible and awesome God who in his power and sovereignty can sway whole empires as well as dealing with individual men. And we can say, he is our God. But remember, the character of God never changes. His manner of dealing with men changes. That's what we really mean by dispensational truth. Not so much periods of time, but different ways in which God has worked with the world of men. But God, by definition, doesn't change. His character is the same. And when this tremendous truth is revealed to Daniel that the captivity of the people of God is going to come to an end, and with it, restoration. There's going to be a movement back to Jerusalem. The temple's going to be rebuilt. And there's going to be a degree of recovery. And yet the first thing it does in this godly man, it brings him down prostrate before God in prayer, conscious of sin. And I have to stand before you honestly and say it doesn't do that to me. Would to God that it did. Daniel was a man morally qualified to say the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploit. He knew his God. He set his face, verse 3, he directed his face unto God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed. Hang on a minute. You haven't told us what you're seeking, Daniel. Seems like the sentence is incomplete. I directed my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. To seek what? Well, Daniel would say to seek the face of God. I, I directed my gaze, I directed my attention, I focused entirely upon the necessity of communing with my God. But he said, you know, even though I directed my face toward him, there was a sense of searching. I was seeking that real communion with God. And the way I did it was by prayer, supplication, fasting, sackcloth, ashes. This man's not pretending. This man isn't coming in prayer to his God as though he's on equal terms with him. Now, brethren, please, I'm not here to criticize. It's not my intention. But you know, sometimes our very demeanor, the very way in which we speak, would seem to suggest that in prayer, I mean, I don't know about your private prayers. That's your business between you and God. I'm talking now about public prayer. You know, if, if, if we had a brother stand up, maybe in this conference, if we had a brother stand up and before he was 30 seconds into his prayer, he'd sunk to his knees and maybe sunk prostrate upon the very floor in tears, 
we'd be kind of really embarrassed about that, wouldn't we? I mean, that's, that's just not right, is it? I mean, we wouldn't do that. Yet I had the privilege of accompanying with a brother abroad for some time. And oftentimes together we prayed for the work. And I watched that big man beginning to pray, sinking to his knees, falling upon his face, weeping before God. He didn't have to impress me. It was real. Laying hold of God. Conscious that, conscious Daniel was, I'm coming as a man before this great and awesome God, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him. Have we lost it, brethren? Have we ever found it? That sense of overwhelming awe at the greatness of our God. And that, especially in this privileged age of the Holy Spirit in which we live, that through the intercession of a risen Lord and with the help of the indwelling Spirit of God, we can come into the presence of the great God of the glory and we, we have immediate access into the throne room of heaven and we can speak with him and know that we're heard. We have sinned. He's making private confession. He's making confession on behalf of the people. There's only himself there. He says, we've done wickedly. We've rebelled. Why? Because we've departed from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name. This is getting a bit uncomfortably close now, isn't it, brethren? Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name. Listen, if you came to the conference to hear Phil, or Shad, or Bill, or Brother David, you came for entirely the wrong reason, and you will go away with disappointment. If you've come to hear a man, that's all you'll hear. It's not too late, even in this first session of the conference, my brother, my sister, for you in the quietness of your own soul now, just to lift your heart to God and pray from the depths of your soul that you'll hear his voice. Let's stop pretending. We serve the same God that Daniel did, and that God has not changed. He is a great and dreadful God. Where's the sense of reverence? Where's the sense of godly awe? Not something contrived, not something that we put on, but that real expression, that real deportment that comes from a people who know their God. He confesses. We're in this dreadful situation down here in Babylon. 
And oh God, we're even, we're even guilty of blaming you for it. Well, yes, it was under the, the sovereign hand of God that we were brought down here to Babylon, but we richly deserved it. In fact, we deserved more. We deserved more. And testimony for God had been wrecked in Jerusalem by whom? You say, well, by Nebuchadnezzar. No, it wasn't. It was by God. I was just reading as I was flying out here. Reading those two prayers of Elijah. And Elijah's first recorded prayer was a prayer that was going to bring discomfort and pain upon the people of God. Imagine that, brethren. Imagine how the brethren would feel as you walked out of the assembly prayer meeting, having been on your, on your feet or your knees, sincerely asking God to bring judgment on his people. I think the brethren would have something to say to you. After all, we're supposed to thank God for what we have and ask for more, aren't we? But Elijah recognized this. These people need to be brought to their senses. And he prayed to God that it wouldn't rain. Now we tend to think of that as a judgment on Ahab and the prophets of Baal. But God's own people were going to suffer under that. And Elijah knew it. And for the space of three and a half years, the people of God suffered no rain. Then he prayed again and it did rain. See, that's a man laying hold on his God and doing so intelligently because he understands what the will of God is. You say, well, how can I know that? Well, read Romans chapter 8. And Romans chapter 8 teaches you that as a believer in the Lord Jesus, the indwelling Spirit of God knows the mind of God and He will produce prayer in your heart. We've got a divine person helping us to pray for what we ought to. He acknowledges that everything that's happened has happened under the controlling hand of God and God was righteous in doing what He's done. Four times over. Verse 5, verse 8, verse 11, verse 15. We have sinned. We have sinned. Brethren, please. I don't stand as one judging. Please, this is spoken very, very much to my own heart as I've been reading it over again. But just read again with me verse number 6. We're at the beginning of another conference. The privilege of it is immense. There's saints in different parts of this world who've never, ever been and never will be in a conference like this. They can't even dream of it. God has blessed you and me by being here. How many conferences have you been in? Don't know, do you? Haven't counted them up. Verse 6. Neither... Have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which speak in thy name? Ever been in those conferences where you've sat there and thought the Lord is speaking directly to me? There's got to be a change. And maybe we just bow our heart and we acknowledge that God has spoken and we ask for strength to make that change. And we go away and we feel it was a very special conference. 
But then a week goes by, and the change hasn't happened. Do you know what I find, brethren, sisters? I'm being very blunt now. But as I move quite widely amongst the people of God, I find that there's increasingly a spirit amongst us that says, if you don't teach what I already think I believe, I'm not interested. You see, it seems we're getting into a condition, if we're not careful, where we are not prepared to allow the searchlight of the Word of God to examine our ways, our thoughts, our beliefs. We become horribly complacent. And we found a balance of things, and we're not prepared to let the Word of God bring about profound change in our lives. Now, if this were a gospel meeting, I would be concluding, because that's what I'm doing, just two or three minutes more. If this were a gospel meeting, you would expect me to be concluding with a challenge to sinners. Well, before the Lord, I have a burden to give a challenge to sinners today. But with the deepest of love and respect, the sinners are God's people. Are we prepared to accept that? Am I? Well, we know that when we preach the gospel, sometimes the thought of being told they're sinners offends people, doesn't it? And we tell them not to be offended. It's what the Bible says. While I'm speaking to my brethren and sisters in Christ, and before God I'm speaking to my own heart, am I speaking to sinners? Because we have not hearkened unto thy servants the prophets which spake in thy name. It's a very solemn and serious thing for you and me to be in this conference. Of course we come because the Lord's people are there. Of course we come for for the enjoyment of mutual fellowship. We thank God for it. But above all else, my brother, my sister, as we sit through these couple of days in the will of God, let there be a deep and sincere and genuine cry from my soul to God. God, speak to me. And give me the grace and the help to do something about it. Enough of this sitting through conferences and effectively just scoring the boy who spoke 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10, 4 out of 10. Heard him before on that. With due respect to my beloved brethren who will follow me, we don't want you to see us. Let's get real about it. God has assembled us in his grace, in his presence. And in these days of difficulty, days, days of darkness, days of great tumult, God has got something to say to us. But we need to be in a condition of heart to receive it. Now, lest you should think to yourself, why is this brother beating up on us? You know, we're, we're the people who are at the conference. Well, please, number one, I have absolutely no desire. I'm sorry if it comes across that I'm beating you up at all. That's not the thought. God can only use this remnant. The vast majority of the nation has already been dissipated amongst the nations. The northern kingdom is gone. And of those who came down out of Jerusalem captive, the majority have died. And those who've been born in Babylon, they're even speaking the Babylonian tongue. 
And even when the recovery eventually took place, the number who returned to rebuild the house of the Lord was pitifully, pitifully small. The vast majority were content just to stay in Babylon. Can God work in such a way? Of course he can. His strength is made perfect in weakness. One man, discovering a truth from the word of God and praying. And when he'd made his supplication, he prayed. Uh, when he'd made his confession, he made his supplication. Do you notice, as I close, what he beseeched God for? Well, yes, that his anger and fury be turned away from the city Jerusalem, thy holy mountain. But then he prays. He prays for the recovery of the sanctuary. He prays for the rebuilding of Jerusalem. You say, hang on a minute, Daniel. <laughs> what are you are praying for that for? God's already just told you that's what he's going to do. But you see, the man is speaking to God about the mind of God. God has shown him what his mind is. God has shown him what his will is. And now as Daniel prays for what he knows is in the will of God, he's communing with God about things of now mutual interest. But he's beseeching God that the outcome of God's will and purpose will be God's glory and the blessing of a people that are very precious to him. Brethren, the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And as God speaks to us this weekend, we pray earnestly that he will. As God speaks to us through his word, let it drive us to prayer. Prepare to step up for the challenge. Young brother, young sister, older brother, older sister. It was to the kings and the princes as well as to the people. The state of things then and the state of things now is not because of a young generation. It was the failure of the older ones. There's none of us exempt from this. So very respectfully, very lovingly, as I step down, may I ask you, before God, you sit in this conference, are you prepared to take this challenge? Give earnest attention to the word of God. Again, with great respect to my beloved brethren, lose sight of them. As my brother Bill gets up, he won't mind me saying this, I hope. Don't pay any attention to Bill Seal. This man has been brought here by the Spirit of God to speak from the throne room of God to you and to me. Give it attention. Solemn attention. And may it drive us to prayer. Confession. Genuine confession. Oh God, we've sinned. Forgive. And deliver us. And see if this isn't one of the mightiest conferences you ever attended. Whether personally or collectively. May God bless his word.